Chapter Twenty Nine of the Countess of Charny by Alexandre Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Crown of Ange's Love. A little over a year after the execution of the king, and the departure of Gilbert, his son, and Belay, on a fine cold morning of the hard winter of seventeen ninety four, three or four hundred persons that is, a sixth of the population of Villers-Cotterets, waited on the square before the manor-house and in the mayor's yard for the coming out of two married folks, whom Mayor Longpre was uniting in the holy bonds. These were Ange Pitou and Catherine Belay. Alas, it had taken many grave events to bring the flame of Viscount Charny, the mother of little Isidore, to become Mistress Pitou. Everybody was chattering over these events, but in whatever manner they related and discussed them, there was always something to the greater glory of the devotion of Ange Pitou and the good behavior of Belay's daughter. Only the more interesting the couple were, the more they were pitied. Perhaps they were happier than any in the crowd, but human nature is inclined that way. It must pity or applaud. On this occasion it was in the compassionate vein— Indeed, what Cogliostro had foreseen had come on rapidly, leaving a long track of blood after it. On the 1st of February, 1793, the issue of more paper money was agreed. In March, the fugitive nobles were perpetually banished and their property confiscated. In November, a new kind of religion was proposed instead of the established church. The result of the confiscation decree was that Belay and Gilbert being considered fugitives, their lands were seized for the public good. The same fate befell the estates of the Charnese, the Count having been killed and the Countess murdered in prison. The consequence to Catherine was that she was turned out of Belay's farm, which was national property. Pitou wanted to protest, but Pitou was a moderate and a suspect and wise souls advised him not to oppose the orders of the nation in will or deed. So Catherine and Pitou had gone over to Herramont. She had thought of taking refuge in Daddy Clovis's lodge, but he appeared at the door to lay his finger on his lips and shake his head in token of impossibility. The place was already occupied. The law on the banishment of refractory priests was still in force, and it is easy to understand that Father Fortier had banished himself, as he would not take the oath. But he had not felt like passing the frontier, and his exile was limited to his leaving his house in charge of his sister, to see the furniture was not stolen, and asking Clovis for shelter which was granted. This retreat was only a cave, and it would with difficulty hold, in addition to the corpulent priest, Catherine, little Isidore, and Pitou. Besides, we recall the refusal of the priest to bury Mrs. Belay. Catherine was not good Christian enough to overlook the unkindness, and had she been so, the Abbey Fortier was too good a Catholic to forgive her. So they had to give up the idea of staying with old Clovis. This choice lay between Aunt Angelique's house and Pitou's lodgings at Herramont. They dared not think of the former. As the revolution had followed its course, Angelique had become more and more diabolical, which seems incredible, and thinner, which seems impossible. 
This change in her temper and her physique arose from the fact that the churches were closed at Villers as elsewhere, awaiting the invention of a reasonable and civic cult, according to the Board of Public Instruction. The churches being shut, Aunt Angelique's principal revenue from letting seats fell into disuse. It was the drying up of her income which made her tartar. We beg pardon, tartar and bonier than ever. Let us add that she had so often heard the story of Pitou and Belay capturing the Bastille, and so often seen them start off for Paris whenever any great event was to take place, that she did not in the least doubt that the French Revolution was led by Ange Pitou and Farmer Belay, with citizens d'Anton, Marat, Robespierre, and company playing the secondary parts. The priest's sister fostered her in these somewhat erroneous opinions, to which the regicidal vote of Belay had given the seal on heated fanaticism. Pitou ought not to think of placing the regicide's daughter under Angelique's roof. As for the petty accommodation at Heramont, how could he think of installing two, there were three, souls in two rooms, while if they were comfortable it would set evil tongues wagging? It was more out of the question than Clovis's hut. So Pitou made up his mind to beg shelter for himself of Désir Maniquet. That worthy son of Heramont gave the hospitality which Pitou paid for in kind, but all this did not provide Catherine with a fixed habitation. Pitou showed her all the attentions of a loving friend and the affection of a brother, but poor Catherine was well aware that he did not love her like friend or brother. Little Isidore had something of the same idea, for the poor child, having never known the Viscount of Charny, loved him more, perhaps, for Pitou was not merely the sweetheart of Catherine, but his slave. A skillful strategist must have understood that the way to win Catherine's heart was through the help of the little one. But we hasten to say that no such calculation tarnished the purity of Pitou's sentiments. He was just the simple fellow we met him at the first, unless on becoming a man he became simpler than ever. All his good gifts touched Catherine. She saw that Pitou adored her ardently to the point of fanaticism, and she caught herself wishing that she could repay so great a love and utter devotion with something better than friendship. Gradually, by dint of dwelling on her isolation from all the world, Pitou accepted, and on her boy being left alone if she were to die, Pitou again accepted, she came to giving Pitou the only reward in her power, her hand. Alas, her first love, that perfumed flower of youth, was in heaven. For six months Catherine had been nourishing this conclusion without Pitou suspecting that the wind was blowing up in his favor, though her welcoming was a shade warmer and her parting a trifle more lingering each time. So she was forced to speak the first. But women take the lead in such matters. One evening, instead of offering her hand, she held up her cheek for a kiss. Pitou thought she had forgot and was too honest to take advantage of a mistake. But Catherine had not let go his hand, and she drew him closer to her. Seeing him still hesitate, little Isidore joining in, saying, "'Why won't you kiss Mama Catherine, Papa Pitou?' "'Good gracious!' gasped Pitou, turning pale as if about to die, but letting his cold and trembling lip touch her cheek. Taking the boy up, 
she put him in Patou's arms and said, "'I give you the boy, Ange. Will you have the mother?' This time it was too much for the swain whose head swam. He shut his eyes, and while he hugged the child he dropped on a chair and panted with the delicacy which only a delicate heart could appreciate. "'Oh, Master Isidore, how very fond I am of you!' Isidore called Patou, Papa Patou, but Patou called him Master Isidore. That is why, as he felt that love for her son had made Catherine love Ange, he did not say, "'Oh, how dearly I love you, Catherine!' This point settled that Patou thought more of Isidore than of Catherine, they spoke of marriage. "'I don't want to seem in a hurry,' said the man. "'But if you mean to make me happy, do not be too long about it.' Catherine took a month. At the end of three weeks Ange, in full regimentals, went respectfully to pay a visit to Aunt Angelique, with the aim to inform her of his near-at-hand union with Catherine Belay. Seeing her nephew from afar, she hastened to shut her door, but he did not hold back from the inhospitable door whence he had once been expelled. He rapped gently. "'Who is there?' snarled Angelique in her sourest voice. "'I, your dutiful nephew, Ange Pitou. "'Go on your bloody way, you September man of massacre!' cried Aunt Angelique. "'Auntie, I come to tell you of a bit of news which cannot fail to make you jolly.' because it is my happiness. What is this news, you red-capped Jacobin? I will tell you if you open the door. Say it through the door. I shall not open to a breachless outlaw like you. If there is no other way, here you have it. I am going to get married. The door flew open as by magic. "'Who are you going to marry, you wretched fellow?' asked the old spinster. "'Catherine Belay, please.' "'Oh, the villain, the scamp, the regicide,' said the good soul. "'He marries a ruined girl. Get you gone, scapegrace. I curse you!' With a gesture quite noble, she held up her dry and yellow hands toward her nephew. "'Dear aunt,' replied the young man, "'you ought to know that I am too well hardened to your maledictions to care a fig for them. I only wanted to do the proper thing by inviting you to dance at my wedding. If you won't come, still I have asked you to shake a leg.' "'Shake a fie for shame!' "'Fare thee well, sweet aunt Ajlique.' Touching his cocked hat in the military manner, Patou made a salute to his relative and hurried away. End of chapter 29 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia